You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new Centerfire Rifle Ammunition Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06 and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com and while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We are going to be... Chatting as we get closer and closer to deer season, there is still a lot of work that you can be doing to improve your farm um, for many years to come. Oh, yeah. Um, and so we're going to cover some of them that we've been doing, we will be doing, yeah. some of them that we're advising and uh, to clients, um, just all kinds of different things that we do this time of year to um, – Improve our properties. And I feel like a lot of them, that gummit, they get overshadowed because of the arrival of hunting season. Oh, totally. And and that is and not f- food plots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but here here this they're not to be overlooked and have pretty significant impacts long term on the property. It's very very easy to get overwhelmed with food plots mock scrapes trail cameras prepping your stands and blinds to people (laughs) yeah but what we're going to cover today is definitely very important to the habitat and long-term success of the property and the hunting future that you can experience on it without doubt absolutely and before we jump in though we just want to thank one of our partners that helped make this podcast possible Premier Coffee for the Outdoor Community. That's Niangua Coffee. Some of our dear friends, but even better coffee. Do yeah. I dare say that? Even better coffee than their friendship? That'd be hard to beat. That would be very hard to beat knowing but those But the coffee two. is pretty darn 
Good. And it's Niangua Coffee. That's N-I-A-N-G-U-A Coffee.com. Go check it's hard for people, you know, Niangua is not a word. It's here not in the, common Here word. in the Ozarks, we know because yeah. of Niangua River, but Niangua Coffee, Niangi Coffee. That's what I call it, Niangi <laughs> Coffee. They've got some premium roasts. They've got Blue Spring, Blackwater, and the Fly Down, um, and some great apparel on there as well. Um, go check them out, Niangua Coffee. All right. Um, coming up in the late summer, it's easy to get distracted on the upcoming hunting season, but it's also important to plan out your – that's so much. Once again, you got to have a plan, got to have a plan, got to have a plan. Because if you don't, you can quickly fall in a trap. All right, I'm going to be shooting my bow. I need to mow the grass a few more times. <laughs> I need to I need to plant my food plots. Oh, yeah. I need to get my trail cameras out. And before you know it, deer season's here, and you can scrap any kind of habitat management for 90% of landowners or just – people uh, that have access I, to do land management. I want to address this just right out of the gate because I know what everyone's thinking. They're like, guys, have you noticed that season's just around the corner and you're talking about burning and you're talking about being on your property during daylight hours and running buggies and doing stuff outside of your food plots? Yep. Do you realize that, that like you could be disturbing deer? Well, here's, here's my thing. If I disturb deer by cutting in January, February, March, burning in those same months and doing yeah. all this other stuff across the property and the deer were still on the camera then during those months, Yep. what's going to change now? They ain't going anywhere. Get out there and do some stuff. Yeah. Enough, and, and, enough. And I, and I hate <laughs> the, the idea of I'm going to disturb them by trying to make their farm better, make their home better. Are you kidding me? Yeah. They'll get they'll get over it. I think they'll be fine. One guy they'll be fine with one it. guy commented. Um, it was a funny conversation. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, one of the topics of this podcast is our growing season fire. I yeah. say ours. I had nothing to do with it. I was, I was. You're busy, busy with a newborn. Yeah. Uh, but you Priority. and Chad and I Priority. think I, did my dad help you guys or just you and Chad initially? Kind of like the blister. Okay, he showed <laughs> I'm up. I'm kidding. Yeah. I had to leave, so he did the smaller one with Chad. Yeah, and so. Um, somebody asked, well, that kind of disturbance right here before deer season, didn't you push the deer away? And luckily, um, or fortunately for us, we had a, we had a trail camera, one yes. of our cuttyback trail cameras set up, um, that took a lot of pictures. It's, it's funny that heat mm-hmm. or something caused it to take a lot of pictures on the other side of the food plot. The fire was 80 yards away. Yeah. And it but was taking still pictures taking like pictures. crazy. You could yes. see the flames. Climbing and, and jumping. Uh, and then that night, so that was like at 3 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then the next, uh, like 8 o'clock that night, there was a pretty good buck and some other deer in the food plot. Yeah. And he asked uh, he asked if the deer were going to leave. And so I just shared that too. And he goes, wow, okay, what do you guys charge again? <laughs> 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 and so, um, you know, the thing, there may be the natural. occasional bump of a deer to, Ooh. you know, you may bump him somewhere else, but they're coming back. Like, like here's the thing. Is that burn in one of those and, and we're gonna talk about size, especially within yeah. growing season burns, but would I would I probably be doing that in and around like a large unit where this deer I'm trying to target is is like his core area at this time of the year? No, pr- probably not. But that doesn't mean that you're not improving the farm by doing it in other areas in in the right appropriate um, size dimensions of a growing season fire, because 
you're drastically improving it. Yes. It, it may not feel like it's snap your fingers improved as soon as you burn because yep. everything's brown right now. Yes. Everything's black or or appears to be dead. Um, the stuff that the deer can reach. But in the future, the long-term benefit because of those fires will drastically outweigh the short-term um, void in vegetation. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's just one of the reasons why we'll talk about how we're going to, how we're utilizing it, where we should utilize it, the size, everything like that later on. But it definitely is a great time to be doing your little bit of last minute. There are, there's a lot of stuff we could tell you to do during the fall, but most of you won't do it. So we don't, <laughs> we don't, <laughs> we don't talk on it a ton because everybody would much rather yeah. talk hunting. Um, but there is something we could find every single month of the year. There's something you could do oh, to yeah. make your place better. Without a doubt. Um, he, here's the one thing. Nope, I just lost it. That gummit. Man, I had a good thought. As we get prepared or get closer and closer to deer season, we're getting a lot of really good bucks. And, and in fact, the, the food plot that, that uh, we burned or you guys burned next to has a couple really nice deer on it. Oh, man. Yeah. And guess what? They've been back. They've oh, been there. Yeah. You guys Routine. burned it probably about a week ago. and. They've been there a couple of times Didn't since. Skip a beat. Yeah, I mean, and like they were, they're there, and and, and and truthfully, and and I and I, that was a last thought in my mind. Yeah. Of like, what is this going to do to the deer? That was yeah. like, not even a question. It was like, it needs to be burned. Here's the objectives. Well, this is the perfect day to do it. Yeah. Well, we're doing it. I yeah. mean, yeah, you guys are going to hunt that place. Or your dad's going to hunt that farm, that that like exact food plot probably as season opens up. And there's really good deer and hunting opportunities right there. Yeah. And and it doesn't it doesn't matter really one bit. Um I I think the other thing I, to talk about and in address out of the gate is the conditions that were burning under because oh, that you was said another social media topic. Yeah. In, in the post that you made, I sent you some photos while we we're doing it and you made the post and, and it was something to the extent of during these drought conditions, we're taking advantage of this and burning. Yeah. And, and most people, I get it. They, they would, those two are like contrasting. Why would you put those two together and why would you put yourself in that position to be burning during a drought? But during a growing season, burn or naturally, they weren't they weren't occurring when it was when it was super wet out. They were occurring naturally when it was dry. Yeah, that's You're, when conditions because allow if you for tried it. to burn, if you tried to go out and burn now, you wouldn't get a, a fire to creep across this yard we're sitting in. No, because it's not the right conditions. Growing season fires, specifically when you think of growing season, we're talking anywhere from July to October in some uh-huh. places. Sure. That window of time, if you want to carry a successful fire, it's going to require some dry conditions and in many times drought-like conditions. Mm-hmm. What is a drought anyway? What is? It depends on your definition of a drought. Yeah, It's and, a period of time your, without your, moisture. Your climate. In, 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 in my opinion. And so... That period of time of that moisture means vegetation is dry. It's a good time to set some fuel back here's, here's or right. set some vegetation back. I guess what I want to say is during during and this February, this is going to get loud. It sounds like yeah, sounds like some somebody coming, uh, a fire the, truck or something happening. But 
Well, here we go. So let's compare and contrast, you know, a, a February-March burn to a growing season fire. Those type of days, you're looking for a relative humidity, 20-40% during March, February-March time frame. But there's leaf litter everywhere because we're coming out of out of fall and winter where leaves have dropped. So just because it is February and March, you still have, generally speaking, dry conditions where a fire is going to burn and burn well. Those are the days that you pick to burn. So it doesn't matter if it is, let's say, droughty in summer or late summer or low humidity in February, March, if a fire is going to burn, a fire is going to burn. And so your risk of having it either jump the line or continue burning outside of your fire break, in my opinion, is the same on both ends, whether it's a dormant season fire or a growing season fire. If stuff is going to burn, you have the risk, of course, when you put fire on the ground, it's your responsibility to maintain it. But yeah. you have the risk of it burning something else. Yep. But just because it's a drought during a time of the year where there is so much greenery, well, of course I'm burning in a drought. Yeah. Most of the times in our climate and our latitude, we couldn't burn if it's a typical growing season where we're getting rains periodically. We haven't been getting rain, so it makes for the perfect situation to be able to burn. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like... We sit in, and I sit back, and I'm like, ah, my wording definitely, uh, when you put drought and fire together, that could be scary. Mm-hmm. But it what, sounds what, scary. what is ironic to me, or kind of humorous, is when I looked at several, several of the other social media handles, <coughs> pages that we follow, that are very in, into habitat management, habitat restoration, Yeah, they're all like, yeah, we burned last week, or we're burning this week, or we're putting in fire lines. It's like, everybody that knows the benefits is doing it yeah but the people that aren't doing it are the ones who are worried it's like we need to educate more and that's what this podcast is about that's what the and reason growing season fires is a great tool in habitat management now it is not like dormant season fires no. that we use we do not use it in the same same way and i noticed that when we when we uh, posted about these growing season fires that you and Chad did and Dad did um, last week, there were some follow-up questions, and that's what stirred on this podcast. One of the big questions was, at what point do I use a growing season in my timber where my bedding thickets are? Mm-hmm. And it was like, I guess we never talked about that. In fact, I know we haven't. All right, I want to set Let's the record straight. A bedding thicket is by term, a thicket that they bed in. Meaning, when we do the timber management, we go in and try to put a lot of structure on the ground. Yes. Encourage high stem counts. Yes. Encourage... Of woody species. Of woody species, yep. whether it be from the stumps or the trunks or new other... Sprouts. Or new sprouts. We're trying to encourage lots of, mm-hmm. of stems. Um, and then we're not only doing that, but we're encouraging herbaceous plants to grow. Yeah. And those herbaceous plants are food throughout the growing growing season, but then turn into cover, depending on what species it is, mm-hmm. through the fall. Mm-hmm. So they may stay standing through much of the fall and winter. Yep. Um, some of them may fall down, but, at the, but that gives a good diversity so they can move through and it's not so thick. 
But overall, we're trying to create a thicket that the deer feel comfortable enough to bed in. Now, how does that fit in with a growing season fire? And the simple answer is it doesn't. That's not the prescription. We're not going to, if you're, if you implement, here's what would happen if you, if you, uh, paint the if picture you of implement what it, looks it like. if you went in, um, and you had a bedding thicket, a, a unit, let's say it was a 20 acre unit with two bedding thickets in the middle of it, uh, south facing slope, you got a drought, you went in and you burned it. You're going to top kill all the young forest that may be coming up in that bedding thicket. Mm-hmm. You may kill the hinge cuts. Yep. That you cut in last winter. And so everything that was low enough or susceptible enough to the heat of the fire has now been knocked out. Correct. So forage Correct. is over. Um, so if it's young forest and you top kill it, that's just going to harden. And they're not going to forage on that woody browse that's within reach. Unless there's enough time between the fire and the first frost to where it starts to stump sprout, I don't take my chances on it. No. And so if you have Minimal a 20-acre unit with two bedding thickets that are one acre each, so two acres that's been clear cut or turned into a bedding thicket, and you burn it in August, come September through December, there's not going to be a lot of regrowth. She's going to be black. There's not going to be a lot <laughs> of likely. there's not going to be a lot of deer usage in that area because the cover has been burned up. I think I I think we should say there's not going to be a lot of usage from a bedding standpoint. Mm-hmm. There could be food that comes back if adequate yep. rains allow it to, but are we going to, are you going to see that structure still standing and offering the the type of cover and security you want for a bedding application? No. You're no, not. No, you're just not going. But no. because to, because that fire, that grown season fire, is stimulating forbs. We're yes. trying to stimulate forbs, and so you're setting back any grasses that may be there, and you're not only setting them back because of you're consuming them, but you're also setting them back for the next growth, the next growing season, mm-hmm. because you're trying to promote more forbs. And so overall, it's a growing season fire is not what we would use in a timber lot that we're trying to encourage. Heavy cover, heavy, and heavy also woody structure. Woody, yep. woody structure. A growing season fire we're using to try to promote forbs. So, right. when do we use it? Where, Where do we use it? Yes, is is the big question, and we use it so much more on the edge of our food plots um, that have specifically ones that have been edge feathered, or in an area like so. So this area that was burned in particular, this unit, yep. it had. Food plots really on either side of it, yeah. a pasture, and then a woods road. So the edges of the food plot, of course, yeah, they were burned, and that was going to be fantastic edge feathering in and around. They burned really, really super solid. Um, but then the the middle of that unit was a mixture of some portions that have been kind of TSI over the past couple of years, um, a lot of young um, woody sprouts, and a lot of that's going to be top-killed. And we're yeah. going to have a ton of diversity through there. But it also allows, once you have top killed, to go back in in, that, in this winter, 2020, 2021, to go back in and say, oh, well, you, you died by fire looking at sprouts. You died yep. by fire. I've decreased the amount. I actually had to manually chainsaw to complete a solid TSI throughout there. Because really a lot of that unit, specifically for your guys' farm, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, 
but it's really kind of a a, a nice uh, combination of some larger mature oaks, but grassy herbaceous understory for corridors from a quail standpoint. That's right. And this is right around the edge of a food plot that we've seen quail in just past winter. Right. And so we're looking at it from a standpoint of going, we really need to encourage more forbs here, get more sunlight, start top killing some of these eight foot tall oaks and other species hickories that are growing here and are turning this into a real high stem count thicket. Right. We're not managing for grouse here. We're trying to manage for some more open. Right. And, and this is an area that will be transitioned more into a savanna so we can graze it even mm-hmm. more later on. So we're just trying to set that back. And, you One know, it was edge feathered. And sometimes when you edge feather, it's so, you know, the purpose of this edge feathering was not closed or open edge feathering where we're trying to really manipulate deer travel patterns and force them to go here and there. It's more edge feathering to promote quality habitat yes a diverse landscape a diverse uh diverse area with with all these different things of shrubs and brambles and forbs and grasses and we're not getting that because we have a lot of treetops laying on the ground and so it's like we need to burn these up but we also need to set back a lot of these stump sprouts and a lot of these other trees that we didn't cut so we set them back you guys did anyway sent me pictures told me about (laughs) it and and the goal was accomplished and now we just sit back and see how drastic it is going to be um, because jump across the little yes. wood I was road, just go there. Yep. it was burned in the dormant season. Yep. And now yep. this year there's a ton of ragweed there, but you'll see a transition in the next three years. One will be more brambles, more uh, woody stems, a lot of sassafras, yep. and then we'll probably see more forbs, uh, particularly wildflowers and stuff yep. coming up in there, which is that diversity is ideal for quail. But you don't you don't get the diversity between, let's just say neighboring uh, units by burning them the exact same, cutting them the exact same every single yeah. you know you know rotation. You don't get that. You get it by changing and manipulating the way you're addressing the habitat. Yeah, for and, sure. And I think. I think that this just unit in, in in itself, I would say it's probably, have you guys mapped it five, six acres? Nah, it's probably a little more than that. That fire unit? Yeah. Yeah, it's right around five, five six, six probably. Okay. Um, I mean, it's, it, again, I, 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 it's a perfect size to be able to go into. I mean, like, we did that even in growing season, and we had a pasture as one of the, you know, a third of the entire fire break was a pasture that we had to wet line. But, I mean, it, all in all, it took us two and a half hours to burn it. Yeah. Like, it, it didn't take hardly any time at all. But you guys are hearing, okay, what we're expecting to come back and see from a response in the vegetation. And it's wonderful. And it took two and a half hours. And that's why we're such big proponents of prescribed fire and, and a diversity of prescribed fire because it's essential to get, to get the that response that we're talking about, you've got to change up the game, and and it's to me, it's not any more risky to burn when we chose to burn a week ago than it is to burn in March. If it's if if your duff or if your leaf litter, if your debris is going to burn and burn good for a sufficient burn in March or in August. You 
still have to do all the same precautions. You still have to have great fire breaks. You still have to maintain your wind and watch the humidity, take all your safety precautions. You have to do all of that because if it could jump in March, it could jump in August and, and it I, could continue. I, to I honestly think, you know, when that question hit us or a couple of questions about it, I got to think it. I was like, people have such a, a different definition of drought. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you think of growing season fire or fire uh, during a drought, I think people think of California fires well, sure. or Western yeah. fires. I honestly, I think I'm more, I get more <laughs> nervous, which doesn't take, I mean, I don't get real nervous on fires anyway, but yeah. I probably get more nervous on a February, March fire because your woodlots don't have heavy shade component. No. You don't have moisture retention, I think, y- y- on the and canopy. you don't have freshly fallen leaves that have yeah. set and wilted exactly. and dried for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. You have closed canopy forest, or you have forest with leaves on it and weeds and whatever growing underneath it. I feel like I'm more nervous on those fires than I am a growing season fire. Yeah, and I, to me, I was like, well, I don't. I, I we have different definitions, but. Um, and and it goes back to when you think of a growing season fire, don't think that you're going to get that immediate flush, and you're going to have you're going to have vegetation that grows back up three four foot tall before winter because no, you won't. You're not going to have that. It's going to be spotty from a vegetation popping up of of what comes back in some of those black areas. Rain dependent, right? Yeah. If we hadn't gotten this rain this like basically right now last yeah. couple of days, we could we could have gone could've. all the way till September. And not seen any regeneration, period, if it stayed so dry. Yeah. But now we have rain. Now we've got an opportunity for some more young, tender forage to be right there in that unit. And you want to talk about palatable, now we're talking. Yeah. I mean, where else are they going to get that? Are you kidding me? Everything else is either mature or is in seed production or is already dry, dried out and and done. Yep. Or they're on acorns. Yeah. But here's the other thing. If there are trees that are producing acorns in the in that unit, now they're falling on bare dirt, essentially. Yeah. And it's like, well, there's the easiest meal that they could ever want. We've got yeah. green tender vegetation and acorns. Come on. Yep. And 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 that's so when you think about the amount of regrowth that you won't get from a growing season fire, yeah. especially if you do it later in the fall or later in the summer. And so Compare that to a dormant season. Dormant season fire is where we burn our big units because it could be if we burn it in like a lot of our fires late March, April's full force, full full green out. Oh yeah. So it may be a month, and it's almost completely greening up. But we burn now, August. It may be September, October, November, December, January, February, March. April before you start getting a huge flush. Mm-hmm. So we don't use growing season fires to burn acres and acres and acres. No. We don't burn our big units with growing season fires. The, the, on, we use it your, as a very micro type fire. Yeah. On on your uh, 286-acre family farm, right, you're not going to go and burn 50, 80 acres in, no. a, in a growing season. It's from a – let's go back to the 80-grit – you know, 200 grit comparison management. 
this is the fine stroke of of really fine tuning that uh, the edges around food plots and and, and sprucing yeah. up some areas going into deer season um, that you can really get, if you will, fancy with a growing season fire. And it's and it's very applicable. One of the other things that we hadn't talked too much about um, was the presence of Japanese honeysuckle in this unit and in and around yep. some of the areas that had been edge feathered or on the edges of food plots. Some some treetops. And, and you can add uh, Japanese honeysuckle was there, but yeah. Cerise lespedes is in the area. Yeah. And it's another one that this late season fire mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. growing season fire is, is very beneficial for. So there was one stand to to eradicate them. Yeah, knock not them to back. promote them. Yeah, to 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 at least in I the say, case I of Cerise eradicate. Les, yeah, Cerise Lespedeza, we're knocking it out because yes. uh, we're here in mid to late August when this fire happened, and they're starting to bloom. So seed production is yep. coming, and so you take a four foot tall or three and a half foot Zapped. tall or three foot tall stem of Cerise Lespedeza, and you hit it with fire, knock it all the way out. It's not going to grow back to that. No. So if it does grow up six inches, it's not going to make near the amount of seeds. So you just wiped out this year's whole seed production. Yes. Toasted. And so Japanese honeysuckle, yep. which is a royal pain, yep. uh, especially on my family farm, is it gets so thick that, you know, late winter, yeah, sure, deer eat it. But it's not great for quail um, in, the, in the stands that we're growing. And... Uh, it's not great for a lot of things, and so it's like, well, we need to promote diversity, and that's the big thing with these invasives is they just don't promote diversity. They ch- chokehold it. And so uh, this area that we had a big, thick stand, I don't know, 20-foot spacing, 20-foot circle of dense Japanese honeysuckle, you I mean, guys there's burned very, it. There's various portions of that. Yeah. I mean, easy. I mean, I can think of I can think of three right off the top of my head. Very on the edges, the corners of the food plots, close yep. to the roads. Um, we we saw many many portions of of uh, the honeysuckle, and that's the thing about honeysuckle, Japanese honeysuckle. When it it it's it stays green just about all year long. Yeah. But here's the thing: it has a woody stem, very very viney. And it has, like, when it gets dry, that stem, it almost becomes, like, papery. Like, it's it almost, like, kind of peels itself off. Yeah. Man, that stuff burns so good, though. Yeah. Like, we, you know, if during the growing season, th- this portion of, like, that fire break where we, where we first started had Japanese honeysuckle. We lit right there, did a little bit of a test, and that fire just pulled and ripped right through it. And at the end of the day, it was bare. Like, I mean, it got consumed pretty much completely. And and a lot of that is going to be top killed. Yeah. And so when it does come back, if it is this winter, we can hit it with a lot smaller amount of herbicide yes. and remove it forever. So basically, it's, it's like the tip of an iceberg, right? So, so we're melting or burning 90% of it, and we can come back and treat 10% that comes out and sprouts maybe the maybe it's late winter or or very early spring yeah. and do a very small application of a spot spray but still get that herbicide to the root system and kill it out so you're reducing herbicide application times um on on, on an invasive by util- utilizing let's say phase 1 a growing season fire and the other thing i and and 
don't 100% quote me on this figure, but I'm pretty sure when it comes to the saplings, about 150 degrees sustained for a minute long at the base of a stump is when that tree essentially top killed. So, kind of going into the reason why a growing season fire can really set back woody vegetation and aggression is because that day when we burned, it was 90 plus degrees. Yeah. Or, or like 90 degrees. it by 60 degrees. 60 basically. degrees, and you put fire on the ground, of course it's going to get there. So, it can stay hot around the base of that stump and girdles the cambium layer. And so, if you have green vegetation up top late August, right... Of course, yeah. everything's green, right? Before fall happens, you have that that senescence, that that transfer of energy, nutrients back to the root system that would happen going into the winter to for dormant season. But but now, if you have a growing season fire, and you have that heat for that long, sustained at the base of the tree, you've girdled the cambium layer, and they can't transport that nutrients from the top back down to the bottom. So some of these trees, could, I say trees, some of these saplings could be outright killed. Are we going to see that spread throughout? Probably not. But hey, guess what? That creates diversity. Yep. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's a goal. For sure. So there's a lot of objectives there and a lot of, let's say, possibilities. But at the end of the day, all in all, man... That fire went so smooth. It went, it went, I mean, dream. And it'll be awesome we to We had watch. one casualty. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Burn one of our shortleaf pines. Sure but did. the sacrifice of that one shortleaf. Manage the population, not the individual. Yep, that's right. <laughs> it happens We're in managing, trees, too. And and there'll be plenty more shortleaf pines. The mm-hmm. more and more fire we do, that'll pop up. So, um, And that, that was another part. You weren't on that fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so thick after edge feathering that the deer weren't even able to utilize it because it was like, ah, there's just too many treetops on the ground. Yeah. But now after yeah. the fire, they can certainly move through there. So it'll be very exciting to see because we haven't had the conditions or the time to do growing season fires of this right. scale. Right. And so in the future, we'll be implementing them more and more. But it's going to be really awesome to see how it's utilized this fall. As we get this rain that we got now, oh, hopefully yeah. we have a. Hopefully frost doesn't happen till October twenty fifth. Yeah, yeah. And we have a pretty Longer good window of time, here. and you more know, rain coming next week, and there's a very good chance. Knock I, on wood, I that really we have a good fall growing. Like you mentioned earlier, it's a really good education. Was that time. a coyote I heard? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Sure is. Um, around the edge of town. But you know, it's a fantastic educational opportunity to to talk about growing season fires because this the whole we're seeing more and more people do to dormant season fires. Man, I love that. That's awesome to see. But but once you have that experience of a dormant season fire, don't stop. Like there's still more to apply. There's still more to learn. And and a growing season fire is is that option. Absolutely. Um, and that option is, is for for various goals and objectives on your property has has its place. I remember um, back on a farm in uh, March, right before old Corona reared its ugly head. I was in Alabama, central Alabama, and a, and a gentleman had done some um, late growing season fires. His response is just incredible. 
um, from from the herbaceous um, res- response there, and it, it's been awesome to see. But long story short, fire is not just a late winter, early spring game. No, we use it a lot. Like I think when I was working for the Department of Conservation here in Missouri, a lot of our fires were done in January, February, and even early March. But now on our family farm, it, they're done in late mid to late March and early uh-huh. April because we figured out that that window of time we're going to get Sweet better window. kills on multi-floral rose, yep. coral berry or buckbrush, whatever you mm-hmm. call it, um, which is some of our dominating understories. Yep. And so by Spice knocking bush. them back, yep. we get a lot better diversity. Kyle and Frank, Upland Flush, Instagram handle. They yeah. just posted a picture today. They had done a fire... Um, and I believe that the warm season grass, I believe, check that real quick as I'm talking about it, but they had done one no, like two weeks them. ago. <laughs> Ain't worthy. <laughs> um, but they had done they had done a growing season fire similar to us, and their response. The resilience of natives. There this we go. This is a clump of warm season grass two weeks after an August burn. These native grasses evolve with fire. Next growing season, the spaces between the grass clumps will become occupied by Forbes, providing ideal brood-rearing conditions. In pick two, you can see unwanted trees that were top-killed during the same burn. Fire moves slower this time of the year, applying heat for a longer period of time at the base of trees. They must, they, did they go ahead and listen to this <laughs> podcast in time? <laughs> right. Um, no, that just Fire goes to moves show. slower, larger doing. trees can be top-killed this time of the year. However... Careful consideration is needing regarding the size of the burn unit. As research shows, having large acres of burned areas over the winter can reduce winter survival of quail. So, summer slash fall fire should only be used in small units and when specific objectives can be met. Boy, that's good. It's like they. It's, it's like it's, we watched. It's almost like we saw this and then did the podcast. Yeah, but I swear we didn't. We didn't. I saw the picture. I didn't. And read that's it. why they consult with us exactly. because we're they so like-minded. They know what they're doing. Um, but in the picture, basically, you can see black all around it, and then yeah. these various clumps of the warm seasons responding, and it's. Green vegetation, foot and a half, it looks like to me. Yeah. Um, easy up off out of the ground. So as tall uh, as a drip torch. Yeah, I mean it's 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 fantastic. So guys, this has its place. Hopefully, um, it will. It was educational and informed you guys about uh, growing season fires, where they're applicable, how they're applicable um, on your landscapes, and what they provide for wildlife. So I'm looking forward to fall. I am too, man. I am too. You know, I'm sitting out here in in actual pants this time, not for the mosquitoes, but for the simple fact that it's cooler. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing my Danner boots, yep. um, which go go to the YouTube channel. You're going to see more and more videos. I'm wearing the new Danner recurves. Um, we've got the believe it's what is the name of those recurve recurves <laughs> recurvies <laughs> recurves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is the uh, the oh, lacrosse Lodestrom or something like that. I don't Lodestar? know. Lodestar, maybe. Something know. like that. I, I can't remember. But we've got those lacrosse new ones as well. We're testing. If anybody can imagine, you know, when we look at our step meters after a consult and a general day on the farm working, we walk a lot of miles there's, in a year. There's some burned up boots. <laughs> if I didn't have the active lifestyle that I do, 
and I still kept my same diet, I'd be 300 pounds. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> I'd agree with that. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I would be too. A, a lot of, uh, you're already halfway there. I right? know. I, I Gosh. And, and people are going to laugh at this, but literally I went to the doctor, I don't know how many weeks ago. <laughs> I can't, I can't I, tell I, this I, on the podcast. Well, you already brought it up. The Joker looked at me square <laughs> in the eyes, and I wanted, to, I wanted to send a fist right between those eyes. He said... I was overweight. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? Is yeah. like I don't I don't honestly trust a word you're saying. This was the fir- and, and let me tell you the this is I hadn't been to a primary care physician in years. Yeah, I I get it. That's bad. First visit. This is the impression as I'm leaving. Oh, by the way, you might want to watch your weight. Uh, you know, from the BMI scale Shows me you're seven pounds overweight. Did he just say overweight? <laughs> My wife is in the room and she's over there snickering. I'm like, you zip it. <laughs> she's like, this finally guy. somebody else said it. I didn't have to say it. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, dude, oh, that's gosh. mighty brazen of you. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I'm super excited for fall. Yeah. Get you back out there. Get that seven pounds off. I know. Seriously, <laughs> that saddle zipping up and down these trees is going to shed that seven you might, pounds. You might have to order some new first light. Goodness when it fits. gracious. Yeah, um, right. So we've got all kinds of hunts planned, um, some new gear that we're testing. Hopefully, the, yep. we're going to be testing the tethered phantom this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Not only go over to our other podcast, hear about the new Oklahoma, con- uh, Oklahoma lease. That's going to be fun. Dude. Um, I'm, I'm ready. Got some good deer on camera. Got the the uh, 160. Yeah. Uh, we got the family farm, Prairie Hollow property. Seth's going to be after him. Oh, yeah. A um, lot of really awesome stuff happening. So you're going to see us go into more of a hunting. We still do habitat stuff as it occurs, of course, as it course. comes up. But uh, you're going to see a lot of hunting content coming to you guys. So make sure you go over to the land and legacy youtube channel subscribe start commenting share it with your friends please and here's the cool thing too if you do that before september 14th you're automatically entered into a giveaway so i was just going to ask you did you think of anything to add to the giveaway this week we've got Uh, a vortex bundle We've got a. How about the seven pounds I'm supposed to yeah. lose? <laughs> We've got a the 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 pumpkin pie your wife's gonna make in October instead oh, of eating. You're gonna send it to somebody. Oh, um, man. I don't know and if I then can that. we've got a virtual property valuation that we're giving away in that. Yep. That's a what is that? Six hundred fifty dollar value. Yeah. Six hundred fifty dollar value where one of us will sit on the phone or in the online classroom and go over your farm for an hour, hour and a half. Um, and discuss all the things you need to do by looking at photos and aerial images and all the information that you give us. Um, there'll be some apparel, Land of Legacy apparel. There's some hoodies that we're working on. Yep. Some new shirts. Um, Swag. Some more hats coming. Yep. Um, we're we've got an order in for those. We're gonna try and do it big. We're just we're just we're, we're just gonna trying. try to work on adding some maybe trail cameras or some other stuff to it. Um, Matt's gonna come and hunt with you. Uh, wherever you're at in the world, yeah. I hope it's Florida. With what time? Uh, <laughs> Tell me that. And uh, so anyway, go subscribe. And uh, guys, we thank you so much for joining us once again, and we'll catch you next week. We'll see you guys. Yep.